Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast bringing you perspective and insight on top issues facing industry professionals. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering crumbling foundations. Connecticut lawmakers urge HUD Secretary Ben Carson to ask Congress for help with this massive problem. Insurance innovation. Why failure is expected when trying new things, but it still pays to gamble on future success. And how to tell your story. The president and CEO of the Insurance Information Institute, or III, tells us how the organization is improving the public understanding of insurance and what you can do to help. But first, Secretary Ben Carson of the Department of Housing and Urban Development appeared before the House Financial Services Committee this week. Carson had recently visited Connecticut to examine the crumbling foundations homeowners are experiencing due to a defect in the concrete used to build their homes. An estimated 34,000 homes in 36 towns across Connecticut are affected. Homeowners' policies do not typically cover material defects, and the crumbling foundations generally would not fall under coverage for collapse. Unfortunately, repairs for many of these homes can cost as much as $200,000, with homeowners footing the bill. Connecticut lawmakers have asked Carson to help address the issue, but whether federal help is forthcoming remains to be seen. There was a lot of discussion during NAMIC Management Conference this week about innovation within the insurance industry. During the conference held in Coronado, California, we spoke with Brian Sullivan, editor and publisher for Risk Information, Inc., about why insurers should not be afraid to fail when trying new ideas. Well, it's, it's hard because insurance is such a complex pro- process and it's broken into small pieces and, and by its design is a bureaucracy, which is often used as a, you know, a derogatory term, but it's a, it's a fact. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. You have to have a complex organization. And so innovation requires people to take risks and fail. I mean, innovation always involves failure. I mean, you, if we all could come up with a new idea, implement it, life would be easy, but that's not how it works. You fail. And so... Um, to encourage people in a very narrow job to embrace failure is hard and to find a way to compensate them for that. So most of our bonuses and, and pay raises are based on very defined metrics. I moved a certain amount of files from one place to another. I closed a certain amount of cases. I sold a certain amount of policies. These are nice and neat and tidy. Uh, innovating involves trying things that don't work and you if you don't compensate them for trying, they won't try. I mean, no rational human being will cut their own pay uh, to try something that might fail. So this is a human resources challenge that all companies must face. And I don't have an answer for it yet, but I think um, what's exciting is uh, HR people are talking about it and CEOs are talking about it. Hiring a person to work for the CEO as the head of innovation is not a terrible idea, but if that's all you do, it won't work. You have to get deep into the field because innovation and insurance rarely comes in big ideas. Innovation and insurance comes through many, many small changes in the process and making each little step in the process just a little better. One area of innovation insurers are exploring is how telematics can add value to its products. 
Telematics speeds up the entire claims process, and the sooner an insurer begins using it, the lower the average claims cost. And it's not just for large insurers. Mid- to small-sized companies are also looking to jump on board. Katie DeGraff, Director of Product Insurance Solutions at telematics startup Arity, tells us why this is something consumers will expect going forward. We certainly live in an experience economy where consumers expect individualization, transparency, flexibility, and we haven't really needed to provide that as an insurance industry in the past, um, especially not in the U.S., but, um, but now consumers are demanding it, right? Most of the services, financial services and other services that they interact with during the day are anticipating their needs giving them the right services, giving them flexible platforms to engage with them on. And telematics really provides the technology and the platform to create that meaningful and relevant conversation with drivers. In our own consumer research, we have found that consumers are very interested in learning objective information about how they drive and in particular, how they can become safer and of course, how they can save money. Um, So, again, telematics provides that platform, and it's relevant. It's meaningful for an insurance carrier to provide that level of insight. And that's just one of the top five opportunities telematics can bring to the industry. In a recent virtual event, DeGraff also outlines what roadblocks currently exist and highlights the role of insurers in identifying and reducing distracted driving. To listen to the full presentation, head to NAMIC.org and check out the on-demand virtual events. Telematics is just one of many disruptors the insurance industry is keeping an eye on as new technologies enter the market. On today's Unscripted, Chuck Chamnus talks with Sean Kevelin, President and CEO of the Insurance Information Institute, about innovation and how insurers can prepare for big challenges ahead. Well, Sean, welcome to our podcast, Insurance Unscripted. Thank you. Good to be here. It's great to have you here in our Washington, D.C. office today. Um, you know, welcome to the industry. It's been a couple of years in this role. Prior to that, you'd had roles in the industry, mm-hmm. both in the U.S. Uh, and abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, time also here in Washington and government roles. Why don't you just give us a little background for those who uh, may not yet have had the pleasure of, of meeting you? No, thank you very much. And um, I must say, I, I really enjoy uh, being here at the D.C. office of NAMIC and, and the Mutual History Wall. If anyone is interested in the history of mutual insurance, there is a, a great illustration of it here. Oh, it will not be forgotten that you gave us a plug for the Mutual History Wall, the best part of our D.C. office. It truly seems that way. Uh, you're absolutely right, Chuck. I um, Well, I think like you, uh, started a career here in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. Um, eventually spent about 10 years here in various uh, offices in, on, on Capitol Hill, worked in some public affairs firms, eventually led me to the uh, Bush uh, 43 uh, organization, or administration, I should say, and worked at Treasury Department and, and uh, the White House Budget Office, OMB, as we call it, inside the Beltway, and um, then uh, took a turn outside and went into the industry and at the time, I was uh, thought I'd get into the banking world because that seemed where everybody who was at Treasury and OMB was looking at, uh, but I was surrounded by economists at the time as well, and they informed me that 2008 might not be the best year hmm. to look at a job in banking. Wise, yeah. 
And I had a insurance company, uh, in particular Zurich Insurance, called me and and actually and really walked me through how Zurich and the rest of the industry was going to weather the financial crisis. Um, in particular, in Zurich's case, they got out of things like those collateral debt obligations, and they and they educated me on how insurance needs to hold assets for a long time and therefore needs to make safe investments that will be there so that consumers can have their claims paid. All of this obviously was very convincing to me and um, took me out of Washington, D.C. and up to New York, and I began uh, my career in, next career in insurance. I took a, a little bit of a sidecar uh, over to Citigroup just to see if I wanted to do that banking uh, thing. Uh, 2010 for one of the the four largest banks was also an interesting uh, mm. time to be in public affairs. But uh, I, I eventually uh, realized that I really and truly liked working in insurance. I liked the people. I liked the issues. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go back to Zurich. Uh, and as you pointed out, they moved me uh, through North American government affairs and globally in Switzerland uh, before I uh, came back and received a call about this organization, uh, the Insurance Information Institute. Um, and I was familiar with the I. In fact, I, I sat on the IIII's communications committee, um, and I was uh, very vocal at that time that the industry, at least from a communications perspective, because I knew you, Chuck, and some others here in Washington, D.C., were fighting the good fight to get credit for what the insurance industry was doing and making sure that it was clear that they, insurance is not a bank and is not as systemically risky as, as banks are. And I thought we also needed to communicate that uh, on a communications front more broadly. Um, and that really is what drove me back to this job, is um, I think that this organization has a key role to play where we can help out advocacy organizations like NAMIC and, and others um, spread the good word about what insurance does. Um, in fact, and I, I should thank you again for attending a dinner uh, here in Washington, D.C. that we hosted last night with the Bro at the Brookings Institute, and we talked all about insurance as a ca as a capital driver as an economic growth driver and so that's what we're up to we're, we're really trying to promote insurance give it more get it more credit for economic growth get more people focusing on it for a career path um and uh it's been a lot of fun thus far well that's uh that's a great background and a valuable valuable one you bring to this role uh, you know, I know, and as, a, as someone with a public affairs background who also worked in a Bush administration, 41, uh, which, by the way, Mitch Daniels wrote a great op-ed, I don't know if you saw it yesterday, yeah. on about 41, turn 96, I think, uh, turns 96 next week. So mm -hmm. anyway, um, check that out if you haven't seen it. But well. but uh, I've always appreciated the fact that I serves such a complementary role to the advocacy trades. Yes, we have uh, important public affairs um, responsibilities, particularly around communicating about our mutual insurance industry, um, around advocacy and public policy. But I think I has always helped uh, kind of lift some of the other uh, communications tasks and broaden them in a way that is um, uh, just fits in very well with the overall uh, industry theme. So we talked about that when you first started the job and came to visit in New York. And um, I still appreciate, you know, what you brought to it now, uh, what, more than a year in. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I, like you, that's what, what really drove me to this position. I've, I've actually been in, in advocacy or we'll call it lobbying roles and government affairs in my career, but that's not the place for the triple I. Uh, the triple I in, in one of our strategic pillars is collaboration. We want to work very closely with, with NAMIC and other organizations that 
are on you know on the forefront of advocacy but uh like one of the actually white papers that, that we just released last week we'd like you to walk in the door with that good story of the industry right. uh and and tell and so that we're better uh, get better appreciation for the three million employees that are that are working in insurance for the six trillion dollars in assets that we're managing that primarily work to build communities, mm-hmm. uh, different things like that. That I think policymakers that are being lobbied should probably understand. Um, you may recall that you know last August I testified up on the Senate. Uh, in, and in front of uh, a particular senator from a state that has a large insurance constituency, should we say, mm-hmm. and um, in that particular hearing, um, what did not seem as fond of the industry, and it was surprising to me, and I probably thought, I wonder if, if they knew as much uh, about what insurance was doing in their state and our economy if they wouldn't truly appreciate really what we're doing as an industry for economic growth and community building. Well, tell me... Um and, and as you mentioned, we had a dinner last night at uh, Brookings Institution that uh, IIII uh, organized, and one of the topics was disruption. And I know you've talked a lot about it in the past year, and it's clearly something that's on the minds of everyone in the industry, uh, both the type of uh, mostly technology-based disruption that may help our uh, companies um, serve policyholders better, and both uh, disruption that may disrupt our industry itself mm-hmm. and change insurance as we know it. Can you give us a sense of what, what you're seeing there and, and what you've been discussing? Yeah, when we talk about disruption at the I, we tend to parcel it out in, in four areas. You know, Catastrophes, both natural and man-made, is one area. Uh, economics or is, is another area um, in terms of what we've been seeing uh, since the crisis and whatnot. Uh, geopolitics is certainly a, a focus of, of disruption, uh, both here in the U.S., but also around the world, whether it's regional tensions or a rise in populist uh, vote, votes in, in various areas. Um, and then as well, the, the fourth one that you mentioned, technology. Um, and as we look at those and lay all of that, those out and what they mean, the one thing that becomes very clear is this is what insurance does. Insurance does disruption. And that we don't just do it uh, as a part of our business. We lead people through it. We help people rebuild from it. We help people go through it in, in a way that makes them more resilient or helps them mitigate their risks. And, and so I think that's something that's really important for, for our industry to appreciate and for, for others outside the industry to understand is when we talk about technology and innovation, and right now some people call it the fourth industrial revolution, from an insurance perspective, we helped lead innovation and modernization through the other three and before that, right? But you couldn't have innovation, you couldn't have growth and modernization unless you were able to transfer your risk. Uh, so now what's even more neat, I would say, about this fourth industrial revolution is we're going to innovate ourselves. Um, and we actually, I'm just coming off our, our board meeting here in Washington, D.C. today, uh, and, and we had this discussion, and, and when I came into this role two years ago and I asked for, uh, for the board's help and our members, what are the priorities, and I gave them five categories and technology was one of them, for us to focus on, technology actually landed in the, in the final spot. Uh, now today, uh, one, the board uh, also challenged us to change our tone a little bit about insurers embracing technology and innovation because they all feel very strongly that the industry is all in and excited about it. And mm-hmm. they've realized that insure tech is not something that's going to 
Amazon or Google Fi or organizations, it's actually most of these insure techs, in fact, more than 60% of them are looking to improve our value chain. You know, less than 10% are, are really trying to disrupt our balance sheets. Uh, they're actually trying to improve the customer service and things. So, again, this is what we do in the industry. I'm excited about how much we've embraced it as, a, as an industry, and we're going to see some really neat changes uh, that, as long as we're communicating well with the regulatory community, will we'll be embraced as well. Yeah, that's a hot issue in our world around uh, proper point of engagement with regulators on these insure tech concepts. In many cases, they're having a hard time um, uh, figuring out, you know, what their um, uh, proper regulatory role is and what kind of guidance they have from existing law and regulation that um, can help them decide what's good for consumers and what uh, may not be, and how much experimentation can be allowed, and sandboxes and other things. But uh, so what's uh, what's coming up with Triple uh, I? You look out, uh, you know, the next year. So the next year, uh, as I mentioned, we're we've got uh, two big focuses. We'll always stay very focused on on an area of what we call natural catastrophe resilience. So making sure that uh, the consumers and and other key stakeholder groups are well versed in understanding of what they need to do prepare dur- before, during, and after a catastrophe, and how they need to make themselves more resilient in, in that area. Another important initiative is talent and driving more of an appreciation for people wanting to start in their careers or even shift their careers into insurance. Um, so we've gathered the careers and in insurance movement and the Gamma Iota Sigma Fraternal Order and uh, the uh, insurance, institute, insurance Industry Charitable Foundation. All of us are working together on some really neat initiatives where we're beginning to get on campus and activate uh, whether it's through putting an obstacle course on Kansas State University's campus to, uh, about a day in the life of risk to working at Wharton on their annual hackathon and, and having a hackathon on resilience. Um, we're excited hmm. about the talent issue. Um, and then I would say the final one that we are is the one we just talked about a little bit in your last question, which is technology. And uh, in, in some cases, helping uh, our member companies understand where to get started on innovation. And in other cases, really making sure that we're fostering some of that communication that you were just talking about with the regulatory community and being sure we're articulating the societal value that's, that's occurring from some of these innovations. Excellent. Well, Sean, I appreciate the time today. Thank you. Um, it's been a, a pleasure having you on Insurance Unscripted, and I uh, hope to have you come back and talk a little more as we uh, get further into the year. Yeah, I, I really appreciate being here, and I can attest to, to anyone listening that there is no script. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're on the fly here, so this is great. Purely unscripted, just like the title says. So <laughs> thanks again, Sean. Thank you. On the next Unscripted, Chuck continues our discussion about insurance innovation with this year's Award in Innovation winner, Mutual of Enumclaw. CEO Eric Nelson tells us about the value of being a mutual member and the ways Enumclaw is promoting that message to its policyholders. And that's a wrap for us today. Have a terrific 4th of July celebration, and don't forget to tune in to our next episode of Insurance Uncovered on July 11th. Until then, I'm Kathy Imus. Thanks for listening.